A man one day was talking to a friend of his, and they were discussing biblical things, and the gentleman looked at his friend and said, you don't really know that much Bible. I, I bet you, you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. In fact, I'll give you $10 if you recite the Lord's Prayer. His friend said, I'll take that bet. He said, okay, let's hear it. The man said, now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to take. His friend looked at him and laughed. <laughs> Reached in his pocket, took out $10. I didn't think you knew it. A lot of people think they know the Lord's Prayer. It's recited before sporting events, in locker rooms, civic events, school events, community gatherings. It is the go-to prayer. But we're going to walk through the Lord's Prayer word by word, line by line. We introduced it last week where Jesus told his disciples how not to pray. He let them know if you don't have a prayer relationship in secret, don't think you're accomplishing anything in public. He said God looks at the secret closet of communication because you want a relationship with him. You just don't want something from him, you want to be with him. For prayer is relational communication with God, yes, to draw heaven into history, eternity into time, and the mechanism that God has established is prayer. In Luke's rendition of the Lord's Prayer, in Luke 11:1, 1, the disciples went to him and said, teach us to pray. We see this power you have, these miracles you do. We see this direction and, and, and this hookup you have with God we want in on that. Teach us to pray. And that leads Jesus to tell them the Lord's Prayer as it is known. It really could be called the Disciples' Prayer because this is a prayer that Jesus could never pray. See, Jesus can't pray this prayer because it says, forgive us our trespasses. And he would never need to be forgiven. So it's really not his prayer to pray. It's him teaching us how to pray. Now the Lord's Prayer is divided into a very simple flow. Two halves, if you will. The first half is concerned with God. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. It's about thy or you. The second half is about us. Our daily bread. Our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation. So the first half is all about God. The second half is about you. And then, of course, he closes it with prayer about God again. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So it's God, us, God. What leads Jesus into this prayer from verse 8 is his statement that God knows our needs. Your Father already knows 
before you ask what you're coming to him to talk about. So prayer is not an informational session to inform God. He says, I, I already know what you want to talk about. I just want to know, do you want to talk to me about it? Here's the key. Just because God knows something doesn't mean he will act on it. He has knowledge of everything, but some things he will not act on until there is relational communication with him about it. So his knowledge does not equal his action. I know what you need. I just want to know, do you want me or just do you want the meeting of the need? Prayer becomes an answer to that question. Jesus says, pray in this way, in verse 9. Pray like this. This is really not a prayer to be repeated word for word. It is really a framework, a guide for praying. This prayer is one of the most empty prayers prayed by people. Some of you didn't need to look at the screen, didn't need to look at your Bible, because you know this prayer. It's, it's been prayed since you were a child. He says, pray like this. In other words, follow this guide. Let, let this be a, a, a governing premise as to how you approach prayer. So it's, not, it's nothing wrong with repeating it, but he doesn't want just meaningless or what he called in verses 5 through 8, vain repetition, just talking because you memorized it. But he says you can use this as an outline, if you will, for communicating with God. Today we want to look at verse 9. That's all our time will allow for. For verse 9 is pregnant with principles for prayer. First of all, our Father. Our Father. Point, you are not an only child. It's not just your daddy. It's our Father. Why does Jesus say when you approach me, you're approaching an our God and not just your God? Because you're not the only kid in the family. If you are a parent and one of your children wants to act like they're your only kid, there's going to be conflict not only with the other kids, but with daddy who has to equally relate to the whole family. So you can't be in a family of multiple people, multiple children, and function like you're the only child in it. It's our father. This is why God has said there are certain things he will not do for one of his children if they, if they are not connected to the rest of the family. So any unchurched, uninvolved Christian is blocking the father from answering their personal needs because they don't want to be related to the siblings. So that's why God wants every Christian to be a functional, ministering part of a local church, which the Bible calls the family of God, the household of faith, 
Scripture says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. All the one another's in Scripture, love one another, care for one another, support one another, connect, connect with one another, uh, assist one another, all these one another's in Scripture because God says you will get more from daddy if I see you relating to your siblings. So church involvement has to do with father engagement. One father, many children. So it's our father who is in heaven, not just your daddy. But he is father. He is father. Let's talk about that. You only have a father because you got kids. That's what makes you a father. Everybody who has accepted Christ, John 1, 12, has been made a son or a child or daughter of God. So you have a father. So when you approach God in prayer, he wants you to approach him relationally. Not just God way up there, but daddy up in here. He wants a relational communication as a father. Now the problem is, Many of us have had a bad relationship with father. Some of you have had no fathers. Others of you might as well have had no fathers because he was there and not there. Others have had bad fathers or abusive fathers. And the temptation is to start with the father on earth and let him define your view of the father in heaven. So you, if you had a bad deal with the Father on earth, it may have colored your view of your heavenly Father. But the idea is to start with the Father up there and let him define fatherhood down here. So for all you men who happen to be fathers, let's find out what the Father is like so you and I can know the kind of father you're supposed to be. First of all, he is father by position because in the scripture, the father was the head of the home. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the breakdown of the father. God always did his covenants through the father because the father held the post of responsibility. So if you are a man here, God holds you in ultimate place of responsibility for your home by position and for your children. Maybe you didn't know that, but every man here needs to know, in the Bible, it is the father's responsibility to raise the children, not the mother. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, fathers raise your children. It is not the mother's job to raise the children. It is the father's job to raise the children. The job of the mother is to help and fill in the gaps when the father can't be there because that is your role. The Bible tells the fathers to teach their sons. The Bible gives the father the responsibility. So if the father doesn't own it, you may be father by title, but you're not father by position because you're not carrying out the rearing responsibility that belongs ultimately, certainly with the help of the wife, but ultimately belongs in the hands of the man. So if you were the devil, what would you do? get rid of fathers out of the home. 
because by getting rid of the father, you've canceled the position, created an extra burden on the mother, and perhaps damaged the kids. So the devil has gotten fathers away so that people can be messed up about what our heavenly father really looks like. So there is a position to be held. The beautiful thing is if we start with our heavenly father, he takes responsibility for all of his children and for all of us who name the name of Jesus Christ. He owns that. God owns that because that's what fathers do. In addition to that position of raising the children, his job is to provide. God told Adam before he gave him a family, I'm going to make you a provider and I'm going to provide for you. So I'm going to provide for you so that you can provide for them because I'm your daddy. I want you to be their daddy. In addition to the position and the provider was the protection. He says you are to guard the garden. And if you guard the garden under me, I'm going to guard you. I'll guard you while you guard the garden and you cover the family. So it was the God fathering Adam. Adam was to father the family and Adam was to get his clues of fathering from God. If you start with your human father and your human father wasn't a father worth following and you transfer that to God, you have a bad attitude toward God because you had a bad situation with your human father. So you're not an only child, but you do have a father and he says, you start your prayer recognizing that there is this relational connection with God. Even in ministry, I am pastor by position, but Paul says that your role in 1 Timothy is to father the flock. So I don't, I'm not just to occupy a position, but I am to father the lives of those who he has placed under me, under our pastoral staff, to father, that is to care for your well-being because that's what fathers do. They don't just show up to eat. They show up to care. And so our heavenly father has a position. He is a provider. He is a protector. And that's who you talk to when you pray. Our father. Second thing you need to know is our father who art in heaven. Translation, our father who's not on earth. Your father is a heavenly father. Now, this is critical because you and I live on earth and on earth we operate by our five senses and we are limited by time and space because we're earthbound. Let me tell you something about your daddy. Your daddy is not subject to the limitations of time and space because your daddy's house is in heaven. Daniel 4.26 says, heaven rules over earth. So what you need to know when you pray to your unseen father is that he's very much operative, he's in heaven, and heaven overrules earth. So therefore, the limitations of your earthly father are not the limitations of your heavenly father because your earthly father is as bound to earth as you are, but your heavenly father is not. 
Therefore, if you put all of your marbles on your earthly father with their limitations, you're going to miss out on the potency of your heavenly father who is not subject to this world order. I'm glad to know that earthly fathers don't have the last word. So if you were raised without a father, if you were raised with an abusive father, if you were raised with a neglected father, I want you to know right now that that earthly father doesn't have the last say-so over your life, over your recovery, over your stability, over your provision, because your daddy got a daddy who is in heaven. That is, he operates out of a whole different realm. Now, when Jesus was on earth, he prayed to God as his father. Every time Jesus prayed, he prayed relationally. In fact, the only time that I've seen in Scripture where Jesus prayed and called his father God was when he died on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Every other time, he calls him father. The reason he has to call him God on the cross is he's covered with our sin. So there's no fellowship with the Father. So he got to have him way out there as the transcendent God. But when he was walking on earth, he called him Father. This is why I love John chapter 20, verse 17. Because John verse 20, chapter 20, verse 17 says, he tells his disciples, I am going to my Father. He's getting ready to leave earth and go to heaven. I am going to my Father, but then he says, and yours. Ooh, wait a minute. I'm not only going to my daddy, I'm going to your daddy too. Now, why do you need to know that? You need to know that because what Jesus was telling them that he's telling us is the same help that my daddy gave me when I'm on earth, now that I'm leaving, he makes available to you because you're as much of his kid as I am. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is seated on the right hand of the Father in heaven. And guess what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6? We are seated with him. So the same level of intimacy based on God's will that he had with Jesus, he says he wants to have with you if you relate to him as daddy. Some of us have gotten such bad teaching that we might as well be praying our judge who art in heaven because we walk around feeling this hammer over our head. That's what legalism does. It puts a hammer over your head. God is always out to get you. God is always out to judge you. Now, God does have a standard, but that's not the relationship he wants you to pursue. He wants you to pursue an intimate relationship with him so that you feel, sense, and experience his love, not his discipline, because good fathers do discipline. So it's our father. He is your father. Now, you're going to have to grow into this. You're going to you're gonna have to grow into this. But when you do, when you experience him on the father level, not the judge level, although he does judge, not the way out there level, talking King James English, you know, English you would never use in human discussion, yet you get private with God, oh God, oh one who lives in the third heaven, oh one who put the stars in space, okay, you don't talk to your daddy like that. Oh, Father, who goes to work every day. Oh, Father, who 
who brings home the bacon, oh, father, you don't talk to your daddy that way. Because that's stranger conversation. He wants to talk to one of his kids. Prayer is a kid talking to his dad. And now it becomes a conversation, not just this ethereal discussion. Our Father, who is in heaven, who operates out of that realm, but I'm praying because I need you in this realm. And then he comes to it. Here it is. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. The Greek word hallowed means to be sacred, separated, and unique. It's to treat as one of a kind. It's to treat as special, a class by itself. It's from one of the cognates of the word holy, to be separate, unique, special. Daddy, there's nobody like you. If you've... Uh, been around him for some time, from time to time, you hear me talk about my dad. He's in a nursing home now, and I fly up as often as I can, given everything else that's going on, to spend a few days with him in the nursing home. It's a joy for me to talk about my father. It's a joy to me to talk about my father because I know the price he paid for our family. My father dropped out of high school because my grandfather was not able to make ends meet. To help my father make, my, to help my grandfather make ends meet, he dropped out of school and then when he could, went back to night school so he could finish. When he had the four of us he was a longshoreman working on the, on the, uh, in, in the Baltimore Harbor. And some weeks he wouldn't have work to do of loading and unloading boats. Sometimes it went on for months that they didn't call him for work. And so I remember now, if you were to go to the basement in the home that I grew up in, you'll see all of this stuff, old TVs, old radios, because to make ends meet, he would go down and he would try to fix the neighbor's radio or the neighbor's television to just get a few dollars so we could eat. As most of you know, I don't eat fish. Can't stand fish. But there's a reason I can't eat fish and don't eat fish. Because when my father didn't get work and couldn't make ends meet, even shining people's shoes, he would go fishing. And he would go out and take a net and catch herring. Now, herring are little fish with a billion bones. Okay? He would catch herring by the hundreds. We had herring and eggs for breakfast. Herring mayonnaise sandwiches for lunch. Herring and greens for dinner. And herring and ice cream for dessert. I mean, we got overwhelmed with Harry. I hate fish. 
because for some reason that thing created a negative thing. But my point is he would do whatever he had to do for his family. He wouldn't give excuses. He wouldn't say it's tough out here. He wouldn't blame racism. All of those things were real. But he had a responsibility to take care of his family. And so when it comes to earth, I hallowed be his name. I celebrate his name. And there is no inconvenience. There is nothing I'm not willing to do that I'm able to do because I know the price he paid. When you know the price God paid for your salvation, for your deliverance, it shouldn't be a problem hallowing his name. That means to put it in a class by itself. He's not to be treated like just a, another deity or just another greater. No, you are diminishing his name. That's why the third commandment says, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. That means don't not hallow his name. Don't treat his name as ordinary. Don't treat his name as something regular. We're dealing with super unleaded here, not regular. What does it mean to not hollow his name, that is, to treat his name in vain? There's a lot of ways you can do that. Comedians do it by profaning his name. They will put his name or Jesus' name at the end or at the beginning of cuss words or of evil and they profane his name. They take the great name of God and they desecrate it. That's not to hollow his name. Or maybe it's not something that radical. Maybe you knew you were lying, but you said, so help me God. So you used his name to back up your lie or your deception. It's bad enough you lied, but to put his name on it. That's why when you go to court, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. Now, why do they make you do that? Because what they're saying is, if you're going to lie, after having put your name with God's name, you have perjured yourself. Because once you do that now, once you bring God's name into it, you shouldn't be lying attached to it. That's how serious, in principle, they use the hand on the Bible and the so help you God because you can profane his name. The word vain means empty with no real reason. They're, they're, you're just throwing it out and not recognizing the significance of it. Okay, I've said this before, but to understand this idea of hollowing, making it sacred, treating it like it's, like it's unique, I am... Um, in light of what's happening in our home with Sister Evans and everything, I've had to learn to do dishes. <laughs> For 50 years, I've not done dishes. Okay? Now, I had other responsibilities, you know, the trash, cleaning the bathrooms. I, got, I had my tasks, but dishes was never one of them. So I never, I never had to do dishes, but now i got to do dishes. I'm trying to figure this out. I've gotten instruction, but I'm, I'm trying to figure this thing out. Now, there's a dishwasher, but that's too much like using a computer, so I ain't fool with that. So there's a dishboard, whatever this thing is that holds the dishes over here. 
And so I'm, I'm washing the dishes, you know. Try to, the, the, my big problem is not making the water too hot. Just trying to get it, get it just right. So, I, 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 so, so every day I'm washing dishes, okay? So I wash the dishes. Now the reason I'm washing the dishes is because the dishes in the sink are profane. They're dirty. Those are dirty dishes. That's the reason I'm washing them. When I wash the dishes, they're no longer, hopefully, profane. <laughs> and I've gotten the dirt off the dishes. Then the dishes, after they dry, have to be put up in the cabinet in the kitchen. Those are regular dishes. Those are the dishes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So they're profane if they're in the sink, because they're dirty. But they're clean in the cupboard, but they're regular, because you use those all the time. But in this whole separate room, called the dining room, are the untouchables. These are the dishes you better not touch. Unless it's a birthday, Christmas, anniversary, or you got special guests open, you don't touch those dishes. They are off limits. Why? Because those are special dishes accompanied by special silverware that is to be used for special purposes. Those are holy dishes. Those dishes get their own room, own glass cabinet. You know, those dishes are not treated. You know, you know uh, the, the few times we get to use them, I, I tiptoe with them things. I, I, tip, I tiptoe with them things because those are hollow dishes. These dishes have been separated as unique. God certainly doesn't want to deal with the profane, but he doesn't want you treating him with the regular either. He wants you putting him in a class by himself. Now, we had some folks at first service. The only reason they were at first service is because the Cowboys playing at 12. I, I pointed them out. I pointed them out. I, I just pointed folk out who I knew was, were not here ever at the early service. But when I found out the Cowboys was playing, because they hollowed their name. See, they treated them so special that they were willing to do something they don't normally do and get up for somebody that may or may not win. Even some of you here today who didn't skip service think you fooling me by having your phone low, <laughs> making me think you're reading along with me in Scripture. But I know you don't have to read along with me because I'm just doing verse 9 and you just quoted it. So every time, every time you look down, I know what you're looking for. Because you hollow their name. Well, if you're going to hollow the name of somebody that may or may not win, may or may not be successful, what you think you ought to do for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who is your daddy? Thank you for listening to our daily devotional program. If you like what you have listened, please consider subscribing to our channel so that you will get daily notification. For more Christian references, please visit our website, www.beyondmycross.com. Have a great day and God bless you.